Hello, lovely, and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind Podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky. I am so happy you are here. This is the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more confidence, with more clarity, and with a sense of community. You are going to know when you listen to the Motherkind Podcast that you are not alone. I am really excited about this week's episode. It is with Louise Boyce, aka Mama's Still Got It. Lots of you will know Louise. She is the creator of brilliantly funny videos on Instagram. She genuinely makes me laugh every single day. I love her. When Louise asked to come on the podcast, I was really excited and I knew that I wanted to go a bit deeper with her because this is mother kind. So I wanted to learn more about the woman behind the funny little hands and how her experience of motherhood and life has formed her into the woman that she is today. I loved this chat. Louise is kind, wise, and very honest. We talk about her experiences in the modeling industry, her recovery from a severe eating disorder, what her matrescence was like, her transition into motherhood, how she's found true confidence in her body, and what she really thinks about social media. This episode does come with a trigger warning. We talk about eating disorders. So if you think that might be more harmful than helpful for you, then just give this one a skip and listen to a previous episode or we'll be back next week with another brand new episode. Louise's new book, Mama's Still Got It, is out today on the 8th of June. So grab a copy wherever you like to get your books. I hope you love this episode. Here it is. Just a quick ask from me before we dive into this week's episode. You might not know this, but we are a really small team behind the scenes at Motherkind, but we have a massive ambition to support millions of mothers to feel more confident, happy and empowered. And even though we've got this incredible back catalogue of over 300 episodes, I really do feel like we are just getting started. And often you lovely listeners will ask me how you can support the podcast and help us reach more mums. So I've thought of a really easy way that you can do that because from today you can subscribe to the podcast if you listen on Apple Podcasts, which over 70% of you do. So for just $3.99 a month, you can support our Motherkind mission and you get all the podcasts ad-free going forward. It's really easy. All you need to do is just go to your Apple Podcasts app, find Motherkind, find the section at the top where it says support the podcast and enjoy ad-free episodes. Click on that. You'll then have a seven-day ad-free trial where you can hear what it feels like to listen to the podcast with no ads whatsoever. And then you move on to pay $3.99 a month. And every single penny of that money will go towards empowering more mothers with this incredible guests, ideas, and tools that we share week after week on the show. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Whether you subscribe or not, I am incredibly grateful that you are here and thank you for being part of the Motherkind mission. Okay, on to this week's episode. 
Louise, I'm very excited about this chat. You make me laugh most days. So firstly, thank you for having your little hands on Instagram. (laughs) Oh, well, you're welcome. We're we're thrilled to be here. (laughs) How is Bernie doing? Bernie's great, you know, making lots of trouble and making people laugh. It's interesting because a lot of the Bernie content is from real life scenarios. So I do actually thank my kids for that. It's actually nice to know for me to know that I'm not alone in what happens with parents and what we go through and with our kids and stuff. Sometimes I put videos out thinking, am I the only one that goes through this? Because if I am, then people can think that maybe I'm doing a bad job or my kids are weird. But then the comments come rolling in and everyone's like, yeah, me too. Oh my God, this is so relatable. And you're like, okay. And that's just no better feeling. I feel like so often as mothers, we're in our homes. Often we're just smiling on the nursery or on the school where you don't get into that chat. So to then have somewhere and something like you do where, you know, you just have that feeling of it's not just me. To me, that is invaluable because I speak to, I'm sure you do, you know, so many mothers who think it's only them who struggle with these things or can't get it right or feel knackered or that they're just constantly, their heads are spinning. Definitely. And actually when I became a mum, I wasn't on social media at all. And I really felt a sense of feeling alone and no one else is going through this. And am I the only one? And it wasn't until I joined social media and I followed a few mum accounts. This is obviously before video. So it was just a picture of a toddler screaming in the middle of a shopping aisle or something. And I'd be like, okay, normal. It's okay. It's not just me. It did help me as well when I first became a mum. And then, you know, I kind of thought I'm going to do some video as well and see what happens really. I'm obsessed with this word matrescence. Have you heard of it? No. (laughs) No, I'm obsessed with it, right? And it is the word that describes the becoming of a mother, like adolescence. Yes, that's right. Yes. I am obsessed with it because I feel like if we talk about the word, it just normalizes that whole roller coaster. So I'm wondering what was your matrescence like? Like, what was it like for you when you first became a mother? It was very overwhelming. I was the first out of my friends to have a baby. And as I said, I wasn't on social media and I was very adamant that I wasn't going to change. And, you know, a baby's not going to change my life. I'm still the same person, blah, blah, blah. And I tried doing that and it was exhausting and it was fake and a lie because I had changed. You know, you're not just holding a baby. Your body has gone through such transition, not just the birth, but the whole nine months spiritually, mentally, I felt different. I was exhausted. I felt like I had lost part of my identity and I was really like trying to cling on to who I was. And it wasn't until I kind of accepted that I have changed and I'm not that same girl that I was before motherhood because I had had all these changes. As soon as I accepted that and I kind of took on my new role as a mother and a woman, I kind of relaxed into it a bit more. I think I just tried to keep up with my friends who were still childless and still going to festivals and staying up late and they wouldn't invite me out. And I'd be like, I can still come. I can still do it. I'm still alive. I'm still able. And I remember going out one night to a gig and like my boobs were lactating and I had to go to the loo and I was like squeezing milk out. And I found myself kind of like just rocking when you're standing still because you're so used to like rocking a baby. And my friend was like, why are you rocking from side to side? I was like, am I? She was like, yeah. And then I was just like, you know, I just want to go home. I just want to be with my baby. I had to actually accept that I had become a mum, and it was brilliant and it was fine and it's okay. And of course I'm going to go through changes. 
And then after that, I found it a bit more easier to take on board. But those first three months, I guess the fourth trimester of my first child were very turbulent. I had a huge identity crisis and I felt alone, to be perfectly honest. I didn't have anyone to talk to or relate to. In fact, the only person that I could relate to was Beyonce. She had just given birth to Ivy Blue and everything for her was like, (laughs) she's not normally relatable. (laughs) Well, I couldn't even find that relatable because everything that she was saying, all her magazine articles were, this is amazing and I've never felt this before and I feel complete and the love I have for my baby and for my husband. And again, I was just there thinking, I don't feel like this. My baby won't sleep and I want to kill my husband. So that was my um, first feelings of motherhood, really. But again, we evolve and, you know, it all kind of figures itself out. And you had this sort of parallel transition as well around your work because you had this horrific experience where you were basically told that, you know, now you're pregnant, you would never get to model again. Tell us about how on earth you handled all of that as well. Yeah, that did not help the situation at all. So yes, after like being a successful curve model for I think 12 years before I became a mother, when I became pregnant, obviously I had to tell my agency and obviously they were very happy for me, but they're also like, well, thanks very much. Good luck. See you later. And I was a bit like, oh my God. So I've just lost my job and I'm becoming a mother and I don't have a job and I have no idea what I'm getting paid. And that was really tough because I never expected to become a mother with those thoughts. I didn't feel financially stable. I never thought I'd have to lean on my husband as much as I do. I've always made my own money. And that also made me feel like I'd lost myself, lost my identity, lost my confidence. When the baby arrived, I found myself like asking my mom and my husband for money just to like, you know, go and buy nappies and stuff. You know, you don't get a maternity package when you're self-employed or, you know, you you get bare minimum. So that was really tough. But I do really believe, especially for me, that when I'm kind of at my lowest ebb, that is when I'm like, right, I've got to bring this up. I've got to turn this into a positive and I have to change this so it works better for me, which is one of the reasons why I started Mama Still Got It. You know, it wasn't just to prove that I could still do my job as a model and putting it out there online. I wasn't even on social media, as I said, and I thought I have to get on social media. It's the best marketing platform. And I knew that clients and photographers were following me. So I knew that that was my way to show like, hello, I'm still here and I can still do the work. I needed to do it for myself. I needed some kind of mental something just to do something just to kind of make me feel like I do still have it and I still want to work and feel good and look good. And I thought if I feel like that, there must be hundreds, thousands of other women out there feeling the same way that perhaps felt like they were pushed aside in the workplace or lost their identity when their baby came. Like, So I basically started it out of like, well, you know, I have to do something. It's like a reclaiming, isn't it? It's like a reclaiming of yourself. It was. For me as well, definitely saying, just making a stand and saying, I am still here. And just because I've had a baby doesn't mean that I'm any less qualified or less able or whatever. If anything, it's actually made me grow into a more, well, eventually, like a more confident, aware person and 
it just made me want to just even thrive even more because I had to then be there for my kids in a financial aspect as well as my whole body and soul aspect. 100%. I think when I first started following you was when I saw this campaign that you were running about models wearing foam bumps. And I am one of those ignorant people who had no idea that this happened. And I was like, what the fuck? This is horrific. And that's when I started following you. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. So when I was pregnant with my third, it was the first pregnancy that I had on social media. Like my other two pregnancies, I wasn't online. So this one I was and I had gone back into modeling on the back of doing my mum still got it account. So I was modeling, but then obviously was pregnant. And then at 17 weeks pregnant, I posted on my Instagram account saying officially now maternity leave. I'm 17 weeks pregnant. And did you know, fun fact, that a lot of maternity brands don't use real pregnant models. They use models with a fake foam bump. I thought that people just knew this because I've been in the industry for so long that for me, I've just grown up with it. So I've always known this. But the response I got from that post was incredibly overwhelming. I had women all over the world saying, thank you for this knowledge, because they had spent so long comparing themselves to models online. I had some women who were absolutely disgusted with the fact that they're using these fake phone bumps. I had other women telling me that they were dieting because they wanted to look like these models. I had other women that were saying they were really depressed and they didn't want to shop for their new body because it didn't look like the body online. And so with all these comments and this encouragement from my followers, I was like, I have to do something about this because, and actually the more you think about it, you're like, yeah, it's a bit weird. It's really weird. It's like, why are we not using real pregnant models? I don't, I don't get it. So yeah, I started the campaign called Push It Out, asking for maternity brands for more transparency with their advertising. And it got heard. I was just asking for brands to have a disclaimer on their websites just to say if you are using a prosthetic bump on your model, state it so we know. You know, when you're buying an outfit online, it will always say the model is five foot ten and wearing a size ten. We always have that information, but we never had it for maternity. So now there is that disclaimer saying that they're wearing a bump, which is what I wanted, but also kind of asking for more real pregnant models to be used, which is like, it's so obvious. There's a great story, actually, of a friend of mine who was modeling for years as a maternity model wearing the foam bump. That was her job for years. Brilliant. But as soon as she fell pregnant and had her own bump, which was real, she got fired. Bloody hell. Does it make you angry? Where are your anger levels at when you hear stories like that? It's just stupid, really, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't get a blonde-haired girl to model, I don't know, black hair dye. You get the right person for the job. And the thing is, because I kind of always knew about this, I just accepted it and I never really questioned it. It's a bit like, you know, when you're told to believe in Santa Claus, you're like, yeah, of course, yeah, that's, that's normal. And then you're like, actually... Of course, that doesn't make sense. So that's kind of how I feel now about the whole like fake bump thing. I'm like, of course, that doesn't make sense. I need to do something about this. I just find it really, really bizarre. And then obviously there was an argument that the reason why a lot of these brands don't use real pregnant models is because they don't want the models on their feet all day. 
But I've worked in studios with heavily pregnant stylists and makeup artists and photographers who were working all the way to like 39 weeks, basically giving birth on set. And no one seems to be worrying about them. So I'm a bit like, are you just trying to make the whole pregnancy thing look perfect? Because it's not. It's not perfect. We have we're swollen and all bumps are different shapes and sizes. And we need to embrace that and show it. It really hit me when you said that you'd heard from women who were dieting when they were pregnant, comparing themselves to these models. And I know that you've had such a transforming relationship with your body over the years. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because I think body image and this pressure, this horrible term that I just wish we could erase, bounce back. Tell us about your relationship and how you've got to a place where you seem so comfortable in your skin. You know, it's been a journey. It's not as if I woke up one morning and was like, oh, and I love my body. You know, when I was 15 and first got into the modeling industry, I found it extremely hard. It was mid 90s and heroin chic was the look. If you weren't a 34 inch hip, then you were told to go home and lose the weight. And as a 15 year old, to be told to lose weight when you're already a size 10 was completely alien to me. And also it was a time before social media, before the internet. There wasn't a space for me to Google how to lose weight in a healthy way, or is anyone else going through this or basically saying, this is wrong. Like, why are we doing this? There was nothing. So I went down the route of an eating disorder and I silently just damaged myself. I would basically not eat during the day. Like during the day I would starve myself and survive off chewing gum, a red pepper, because I had less calories than an apple and diet Cokes. That would be it for the day. And because I was living at home with my mum in the evening, she would give me an evening meal and I was starving. So I'd eat the whole lot and then go upstairs and throw it up. That became my normality. And I did lose weight, but it still wasn't small enough. I was still getting told to lose more. So then I introduced laxatives to the situation And had so many laxatives that I remember being doubled over in the tube with cramps that I can only relate to now, like contractions when you're giving birth and just being doubled over. And then obviously, you know, needing to go to the toilet. And it was just a really dark, horrible time. And I never told anybody. I never told my mum because I knew that obviously she would take me out of the industry immediately. But at the same time, I knew that there were other girls other models doing the same thing. It kind of felt like we all knew what each other were doing, but we weren't talking about it. It was very hush-hush, but there were so many of us in the same boat and some of us survived and some of us didn't, as in some of us went on to be able to work and keep the weight off. But it messed with my mental health and it messed with my whole confidence and even at my smallest, I just got to the point where I I hated my body. I'd been told that my body was wrong. I'd been told that I needed to change it at such a vulnerable age. I was a child and you're believing these big bosses because you want to prove to them that you're good enough. And at the same time, you don't want to be kicked out of the agency in case your friends find out. And they're like, well, what happened? You know, I thought you were with this agency. And so I had all these kind of emotions going on. I was also, you know, going through puberty. So of course my body was changing anyway. 
I was growing breasts and hips for the first time and I was trying to suppress it. And you can't, it's nature. And then I went to Australia and lived there for a while. And without the watchful eye of my mum, I kind of like went even deeper into an eating disorder. And and then it wasn't until I got home that my family saw me for the first time in about six months. Again, it was before Skype and FaceTime and all this jazz. And so they hadn't seen me at all. And they picked me up at the airport and they were all in such floods of tears and their reaction. And because I was just so miserable and not necessarily getting the work because I was dead inside. I had nothing. I was just a shell of myself. I had no confidence. I had no humor. I had, my face was just gaunt and my skin was awful. Everything. I just looked awful. So I decided there and then pretty much like I'm done. I didn't want to do it anymore and kind of stepped away from the industry for a while and worked in an office felt normal. I started to eat properly and started to gain weight. But for the first time, it didn't bother me because I could feel myself having more energy. And I could see in my skin that I had color coming back. And I could see in my eyes that there was starting to sparkle again. And I was smiling again. And so I realized that this was good for me and got myself a boyfriend and like just did normal things that any like 18 year old should be doing. And then, so I worked in this office for two years and it was, I actually really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It was great fun. And then my boss suddenly left, like just suddenly left. And I found myself at my desk completely and utterly bored. By this point now I had the internet, which was great. We had the World Wide web. And so I just Googled, no, a friend of mine told me about an agency that catered for curvier models So I was like, well, you know, I'll give it a go because why not? I've got nothing else to do, literally nothing else to do. And an agency took me on pretty much that afternoon. I quit my job. And one of the first shoots that I had as a curve model, you know, I was a size 12, 14. It's still very slight. But, you know, back in those days, it was like, this is, well, actually back then it was called plus size. Can you imagine? It was called plus size. (laughs) Plus size. I know, it's crazy. So my first job was for lingerie for Marks and Spencers for bra packaging. And for me to go on set in my underwear for the first time in a long time to kind of show my body, I thought I'd be terrified, but I actually felt like I was healing. Like I felt I was accepting myself and I was showing everyone that I was accepting myself. And when it came out in store and I saw the packaging, I actually felt like, oh my God, that's me. That's amazing. And my boobs were big and you could see my curves. I actually liked what I was looking at. And I think a lot of that is because how I felt internally as well. I just remember how I felt when I was so unhealthy. And yes, I was teeny tiny size, but I had nothing else. I had nothing. I had no soul, like nothing And I decided what's more important, like the size of my hips or the size of my smile. And I just decided my smile and never looked back. And then over the years, just worked full time almost every day as a curve model and had a great time and just was modeling, just being myself, representing women with curves and just had the best time. Really loved it. It was awesome. You made me really emotional. I feel like that is such a powerful 
story. It really is. Before we get back to the podcast, I just want to tell you about another brilliant podcast that I've been listening to that I think every single one of us could benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by best-selling author and psychotherapist and my friend, Julia Samuel. Julia invites us into her therapy room where she speaks to either a known or an unknown guest about a particular challenge they're facing. So topics range from the difficulties of a divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood, which was my episode when I was lucky enough to be a guest. Julia provides her guests with valuable advice And you will find that each episode resonates regardless of the topic. I know that I found that every single episode that I listen to of Therapy Works, I take something from. And what's even more special is at the end of every episode, Julia is joined by her two psychotherapist daughters where they reflect on the therapy session and share their own insights, which is really my favorite bit. I absolutely love that bit at the end. So just search Therapy Works now, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. Back to our episode. There's so many mothers, and I'm sure you speak to hundreds of them as well, most days in your DMs, who really struggle with accepting their bodies. There's so many mothers who won't wear a bikini. There's so many mothers who won't be in a photo because they feel like they look bigger or they look different. What would you say to them? I mean, there is so much pressure on mums, as you say, to like bounce back. I hate that so much. Or like calling yourself, you've got a mum bod. I mean, like, why are we saying mum bod? Why? We don't call it a dad bod when they've got like a little belly going on. Why? I don't understand. But again, it's just like we're just shown all this shit online and magazines where it's kind of forcing out just more pressure on on mums, on women to be this perfect person in society, which doesn't exist, but it, it happens. I mean, I get messages, as you said, all the time from women that say, how are you so confident? And the answer is, I really, really work on being kind to myself. I remind myself what my body has done for me. It's survived so many things. It's always got my back. I'm still here. It's birthed three people. It's fed three people. I've survived COVID, eating disorders, miscarriage, everything. Like it's my vessel. It's my home. And I have to respect it. I have to. We only get one body. And without our health, we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Health comes first. So for me, if that means eating healthily and having some curves, I don't care. That's fine. I don't care. So I really remind myself and I'm really kind to myself. And as I said, it does take time. But I think because I have experienced what it feels like to really hate your body and be that depressed about it, to come out the other side, I never want to go back there again. But, you know, I've got friends who are tiny and will be at the gym swimming or in the spa or something, and they're there complaining about their body. And I'm literally like, oh my God, like guys. And I had one, a really good friend message me this morning saying that she wants to have a boob lift and she hates her face and my hips, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I literally voice noted her and I was like, right, stop right now. Just stop. You have to turn this around. It does drive me mad how many women think so low of themselves. And I always remind myself as well, like if you've got to think of yourself in 40 years time, 40 years time, I'm going to be 83. 
I'm going to look back on photographs of how I look now and be like, oh my God, I had no idea how great I looked or how much energy I had. You know, we are today, this is as young as we'll ever be right now. This is it. And I always focus on that always. I'm like, this is me now. I'm never going to be as young as I am today. So just embrace it. And also when you're on the beach and you're worried about how you look in a swimming costume or a bikini, I've realized that everyone is so caught up in how they think that they look. No one's actually looking at anyone else. So actually no one cares. Literally nobody cares. And I really feel as well that if you walk into a room or a beach or a swimming pool or gym or anywhere, if you walk in with this aura and this grace of confidence and I don't give a fuck, people will believe it and they won't look at you. They'll be like, oh my God, I wish I was as confident as her. What's her secret? Sometimes my secret is just to fake it because obviously I'm normal. I'm human. There are days where I wake up and I think, oh God, that's new. Or uh, I should probably turn it up a little bit, but I'm not going to point it out to anyone. I'm not going to be like, oh God, have you seen this? Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Because you're just creating attention to those things. Like I just rise above it and go like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, it's fine. And it's just the confidence. And also I kind of feel like as soon as you kind of accept your body and love it wholeheartedly, the immense feeling of freedom is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I highly recommend it. I completely agree. I say to myself, because we live on the beach now, so most days in the summer after school, all the mums go to the beach and we're all there. And and I'm like, so you're not that important or interesting that people are going to be looking at your belly. It's just not interesting. And I, I love, I think I read it online, someone said, your body is the least interesting thing about you. And I feel like I'm interested in what I have to say in my energy and how I help people and what I do is no one cares about that little bit of extra fat on my arm, apart from me some days. Do you know what I mean? It's perspective. Yeah, it really is. I totally agree with you. But it's it's interesting though. Like if you, I know that there are a lot of women that feel the pressure, as you said, like going say on a hen do or basically being in a group of women where getting in a bikini or even in a dress, like how you feel. Like, I think there's always that pressure of, am I the biggest one here? And I did feel that definitely more in my twenties. There was that kind of like panic of, oh my gosh, I'm actually bigger than anyone else here. But as you said, I don't really care about other people's bodies. I feel like what comes from within, like for me, beauty comes from within. If you've got something to talk about or inspire me or make me laugh, that's more important then a bit of cellulite on your thigh. I don't care. And I think hopefully a lot of people don't care as well. We're also self-absorbed with our own stuff. That anyone else, they don't care, hopefully. And if they do care, I'm not sure I want to be your friend. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to go and, you know, look at my cellulite, I'm not sure I want you in my circle. Thank you very much. Exactly. I'm the biggest out of my core girls. I'm definitely, I'd say I'm the biggest. They don't care. I don't care. Of course they don't. And our children do not care either. And I think as mothers, I remember this, like I've got two girls, like I have to model to them confidence and not this obsession. You know, we grew up with mums in the eighties where it was like diet o'clock. Like my mum was always on some random diet. I feel like in our generation of mothers, that was so the norm. And 
I do feel that responsibility. Oh my gosh, we have such a responsibility. I think probably more now than ever before, because not only do we need to watch what we're saying, but also they've got the added pressure of social media and all of that crap that comes with it. My son's just been given a phone and you know, I'm constantly like, well, what if he sees the wrong thing or WhatsApp chats can be really toxic, but so far so good for him. Like he sees me on social media and he knows a lot of it is, you know, he sees the characters that I play. I think a lot of it, he kind of sees that it can be fabricated and you can make it look a certain way if you want it to. I'm kind of hoping that that's how he feels. Like he has no interest to be on social media at the moment, but I do worry For girls, I think there is a huge pressure on girls. My daughter's three, so she's not there yet. But my niece is 10 and she is already very much wanting different color eyes and wanting bigger lips. And because of the filters that make her look a certain way, she's 10 and she's questioning how she looks. And honestly, it breaks my heart And, you know, the best thing that we can do is just communicate and talk and let them know that these things aren't real and they're perfect just the way they are. You know, I feel like parents, we have a huge responsibility to make children feel that they are enough as they are. You know, when I was eight, nine, ten, I didn't think anything about how I looked. I was outside playing on my bike with no helmet and no water bottle. Do you know what I mean? Like... (laughs) We've put so much more pressure on our kids. I just feel like parenting now is completely different. We're so cautious with everything, but at the same time, throwing them into things like social media. It's really bizarre. Yeah, there's this line that I love, which is that the generation of children that we're raising are the most overprotected and underprotected. Yes, exactly. Because we overprotect them in crazy ways. Like you can't go out without your sunscreen and da, 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 and this needs to be organic. And the, the mental pressure that we put on ourselves on the things that actually that aren't that important. And yet they're going to be the ones who are dealing with social media, who are dealing with climate change, who are dealing with actually these huge things that no one seems to be protecting them from. It's that real duality, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. We overprotect them, but then completely underprotect them at the same time. And it's really tricky. It's so tricky. What are some of the other things that you think are really important to show your kids? I'm guessing confidence. We talked about body image and confidence. What are some of the other things that you're really passionate about? When the boys and my daughter as well, but when they are at an age where they, you know, are looking at bodies in a different way, sexually, I want them to know that it's okay to have a big bum or boobs that aren't completely upright. I want them to know that it's normal. I want them to just have that experience. I grew up looking at magazines, retouched, airbrushed magazines. I never saw pubic hair. I never saw anything. Um, And I want my kids to know that pubic hair is normal and all these things are normal. So if I am naked and they come into my room I mean, to be fair, my eldest son is a bit like, oh my God. I'm like, what? It's normal. It's fine. And then he's like, okay, mom, okay, fine. You know, he's he's that preteen trying to be cool. It's really important for me, for my kids to have values that I had as a child in terms of being able to sit down with adults and have conversations with them, playing a card game, playing a chess, board games, like things that I did as a child 
that, you know, it's so easy for kids to come home from school, especially in the winter, and just sit down and look at the TV or not really interact with parents or adults. And I'm very passionate about kind of being like, when my friends come over, I want you to say, hello, what you up to this summer? Or how's work? Or how's so-and-so? I want them to have conversations. I want them to understand that not everything is instant because it is. They want to watch something on TV, they can watch it. They want to order something on online on Amazon, they can get it. Again, we didn't have that when we grew up. If we wanted something, we had to earn it. If we wanted to watch something on TV, if it wasn't on, forget it. You want to watch a movie, you go to Blockbuster. And if they had it, brilliant. And if they didn't, you don't watch it. All those things that we had, I really want my kids to know that you can't kind of, I don't know, I just don't want them to to grow up being spoiled and like just socially inept. I just want them to understand that you can't rely on things like screens the whole time. I want them to be actually present in real life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's so right. And I think it's that effort, isn't it, that I think we had growing up. Like, you you, you know, you had to cycle down to do something. <laughs> like, I remember me on my bike and now it's like, you know, you just click the button and it's there. And it's the lack of that effort to result ratio, I think, is completely shortened for the generation of children that we're raising. Like, my daughter said to me the other day, we ran out of something. And she goes, oh, just one click it, just one click it. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is mad. Because she's heard me say it. Yeah, no, we've had the same thing. Like, something broke. And then my um, seven-year-old was like, oh, don't worry, just buy another one. I was like, it's not as simple as that. You can't just buy another one. Like, it's money. And where do you think that, you know, no, can't just... Yeah. So I'm totally with you. I just worry that our kids' generation are going to grow up with like the worst debt issues because they're not taught about it at school, which they should be. They're not taught about how to organize your finances, which again, we weren't and we should have been. But also money doesn't feel real anymore because we don't carry money anymore. It's just a click on your phone. You're not handling cash anymore. And I'm just worried that as soon as, you know, our kids get a bank account and they're paying for things on their phone, they're not going to realize that actually it's real money and it's just gone. So I'm trying to kind of cement into them that saving and, you know, my kid, as soon as my kid gets a bit of cash for his birthday, which was last weekend, it's like, oh, I want to spend it on Roblox or Beatbox, whatever it is. And uh, I'm like, well, don't you want to save up for anything? He's like, no, for what? Why? I'm like, well, you know, because it's nice to save for something. And he's like, no. No, I just want to spend it. Everything's like immediate. I want to spend it now. I want to spend it now. It's so interesting for our generation because we are, I always talk about this, we're the first generation of parents on social media ourselves. And you're at the front end of this, right? You're one of the leading creators around this stuff for months at the moment. And, you know, we're the first ones creating and consuming and we're the first ones trying to parent through social media. And I don't think we give ourselves enough compassion and grace for that about how hard it is. No one has given us a toolkit. No one knows what they're doing. I feel like we're in a big experiment and we're all just like in the dark, like padding around, (laughs) trying to figure this shit out. I know. Isn't that just parenting generally? (laughs) (laughs) That is just parenting generally. We are the first generation of parents online and that in itself has its pros and cons. We're seeing such an insight to people we don't know online and comparing ourselves, whether it's 
or they went over there at the weekend and we didn't go there or they went on that lovely holiday. Oh my God, that kid got an A star in his exam and my kid didn't. There's so much more to compare now that we're all online. But at the same time, especially I guess for my account and the content that I do, I feel a sense of togetherness. Like we're in this together with all the shit that we go through as parents. And that's why I make it funny because this shit's real and we're all in it together and you know you're not alone and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the funny videos just to kind of say that we are all in the same boat and we're all normal we're all going through the same things (laughs) and you do that brilliantly as well I had the honor of reading your book yesterday before it's coming out on the 5th or the 6th remind me 8th of June 8th there we go that's my brain both dates wrong And you do that even more in the book, just that sense of, I thought it was only me that had scrabbled to try and get in a WhatsApp group and then got ejected from it. (laughs) Oh, yes, the WhatsApp groups. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that's another thing, like, our parents didn't have WhatsApp and all the school emails and the school text messages and the school app. Like, there's so much stuff to like mentally consume now that kids are at school. And it's almost a bit like, oh my God, it's too much. You know, we sent home one letter every fortnight, I think, when I was a kid. And even then, I don't think my mum got the letter. But we managed, we survived. So tell us a bit more about the book. It's very funny. It's almost like your real sport to life a bit, isn't it? Well, that is the idea. So it's a year in the life of the academic school year. So the book starts in September when kids go back to school. And so every chapter is a month and it goes through all the stuff that we go through as parents. And there's so much, whether it's Halloween, fireworks, World Book Day, Easter, Christmas, there's so much like PTA, WhatsApp chats, getting your kids haircut. Like there's so many things that we do as parents that we probably don't realize. And the book is very much a relatable book, but hopefully a laugh out loud experience. And there's also in there like a few stories that have happened on my journey that people don't know about, which again is, I've you know, I was reading it out loud to my um, husband the other day and uh, he was laughing out loud and he does get a bit of a bashing because, you know, no father slash husband is perfect. So a few home truths have come out, but then he also has a right of reply And he's got a few home truths about me, which I found fascinating because I didn't realize that I did all these annoying things. Turns out I do. And also my mum has written a section, a chapter about her experience of becoming a grandmother. And I don't know if you've read that bit yet, but it's absolutely brilliant because obviously it's completely different. What we were talking about now, like her parenting in the 80s compared to what we do now, it's completely different. Everything is different. Even the stuff that we watch on TV all the kids' TV stuff now, it's so fast and American and you can't keep up with the storyline. You know, when I was a kid, we watched things like Bagpuss. don't know if you remember Bagpuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill and Ben, which was like, nothing happened in Bill and Ben ever. But we were watching it. And yeah, so the book is, if you like my reels and you like to laugh and feel normal, then yes, this book will be a great summer read for you or any read. Yeah, not just for the summer. It's very funny. We'll pop a link to the pre-sales in the show notes so people can listen to this and go and pre-order it straight away. And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Just one gift? 
Yeah. Obviously my book. But apart from that, ooh, that's a tricky one. I mean, I feel like mothers need so many things. If you could have a package of things like credibility and respect, appreciation, rest, better postpartum care, flexible working, equality of salary and sleep, and my book, then I would give them that. Amazing. Thank you so much. I knew I'd love this conversation and I absolutely have. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. So that was the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you loved the conversation about body and body confidence, then I think you'd love the episode with Megan Rose Lane, who is also a brilliant content creator and speaks about how she recovered from an eating disorder to become completely comfortable in her own skin. I think most of us are on that journey. So I think you would really love that episode too. Just search Mother kind Megan Rose Lane wherever you get your podcast and I will see you next time with a brand new episode 